This is Infants on Thrones. The philosophies of men mingled with humans. We are the core. After your faith has let you down. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Osland, and this is episode 560. Krista Pell Evans and the post that went viral. That's right, it's our longtime friend, Krista the Psychic. I don't call her that anymore, by the way. But she's back to talk about an experience that she recently had with a seemingly misogynist judge that she posted about on Facebook, and the whole thing just went viral. I mean, George Takei reposted the post. Oh my. That's right. Oh my, indeed. Oh my. So we talk about that, we talk about culture and science and woo and history and all kinds of yummy stuff. But before we get into that, let me give you an update on Jake, because I know that so many of you are wondering how he's doing. Now, as you probably all know, our friend and colleague, Brother Jake, suffered cardiac arrest at the end of November. Now, Jake is 30 years old. Doctors still don't know why it happened, and they're still trying to figure out how something like this could happen to such a healthy and active person. Over the past few weeks, Jake has defied the odds in many ways, but there's still a long road of uncertainty ahead. There's not a lot of data for doctors to draw on for someone of Jake's age and overall health to be in the situation that he's currently in. We can all rest assured, however, that he's surrounded by a strong network of family and friends and he's getting the best care available. So thank you for those of you who contributed to his GoFundMe campaign. I will link to that again on our website for as long as it's running. And please remember that many of his family and friends are still faithful members of the church. This is a time to show respect and to put our differences aside and come together over our mutual love of Jake and his family. Jake helped all of us find laughter and joy in some of the darkest times of our lives. So let's return the favor now by being patient, by being respectful, and being prepared to support him and his family as they need that over the coming weeks and months ahead. So with that said, let's get to today's episode. And if you stick around for the end, you'll find out exactly what role Krista and her husband Ryan, who also goes by the name Sedanand, you'll find out what role they played in the genesis of Infants on Thrones. And remember, we're trying to reach 300 Patreon supporters by the end of December. Right now we're sitting at 270, so we've got 30 more to go. Maybe we can hit it, maybe we won't. If you'd like to join Patreon, there is an extended cut of today's episode where I include as an extended Easter egg the very first interview that I did with Ryan and Krista for the Mormon Expression Voices podcast. So here's today's episode. Thank you and namaste. So what I'm what I'm thinking about doing, I mean, we haven't had a, an Infants on Thrones episode with with you in years, but um, yeah, so so we can kind of catch up uh, on 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 where you are, and especially now that you've got George Takei forwarding <laughs> <laughs> forwarding stuff. I know that's yeah. I, I yeah yeah I'm blushing. Yeah, I'm, really. Well, I just, I don't like to be the center of attention. So right. my no, former life goal used to be to be invisible, which I didn't get a life in which I'm invisible at all. <laughs> um, and all I did with this was write a Facebook post, you know? Yeah. 
we write Facebook posts all the time. I didn't expect it to be shared thousands and thousands of times. So yeah, it's kind of strange. And and but before we get into that, um, also. Sadan and I, I don't know, have you been on Infants on Thrones? I, th- I think when I interviewed you and Krista, it was for Mormon Expression Voices. Uh-huh. Um, I and I don't think you've been on Infants on Thrones, even though you listen mm-hmm. time to time when it's worth. <laughs> he listens a lot. Yeah, I, 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 with the, like the Jordan Peterson stuff, we had some good conversations about it, um, yeah. that kind of stuff. So, so anything you want to say to the listeners? Me? Yeah. Hey, it's great to be here. Um, well, we could start with that. And by here is sitting in your house next to your wife. That's always a great place to be. It depends on who your wife is. Well, and, and when. Yeah, there, there can be contexts where probably <laughs> the other places. I don't know. We don't do that. <laughs> Yeah. So, so, so Krista, you, you, you posted this story on Facebook. Why don't you catch the listeners up on what, what happened to you? Uh, okay. Let me center myself. I have to remember. Um, yeah. So I, I went in for jury duty. I feel like the story is old by now, but right. I'll, 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 <laughs> yeah. like, uh, how many times do I have to hear this? <laughs> no, I went in for jury duty, which I, I had rescheduled my jury duty to be the week of Thanksgiving. Cause I was like, Oh, Ryan can watch the kids. And then I'm trying to do the right thing here, people. Um, so I can go in and do my jury duty and It'll be okay. And right? how, old, how old are your kids now? Sylvia is actually 16 months today. So I have her uh-huh. age wrong in my viral Facebook post that I oh, then no. chose not to edit because I was like, then it looks like I'm editing this thing. But yeah, I put her age wrong. And she's 16 months today. Okay. So she was 15 months. So who knows what we can really believe, actually, if you're getting those details wrong. No, that's, that's, that's the only detail. I think I'm just teasing you. I know it is, but it's kind of, it's funny. It's like, Oh, you can't remember your kid's age, but yeah, I definitely, I, I forgot what year it was the other day. I thought, I thought it was 2008. (laughs) And then I'm like, wait, that doesn't seem right. Like, oops, forgot that one. Um, um, but the intuitive me would say, well, time's not real anyway. So sure it is. Oh. So would Einstein, by the way. Oh, there we go. Me and or, wait, well, he wouldn't say it's not real. He would say it's relative to where you are in space, yes. but yes, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway. So I go to jury duty, which the, the, the weird thing about it too, was they had over people. So I got called in on Tuesday. So the 20th, um, and they had overcalled people so and they didn't have enough room inside for everyone so they had us outside they're like we'll huddle together because it was 42 degrees but it's like between these two buildings and like this wind is going through just kind of a miserable situation they had it they're like we'll huddle outside for like an hour and finally I was like I'm so cold like I did not dress to be outside in 42 degrees that I had to I crawled through the crowd I actually crawled through the crowd and like your hands and knees yes yes that was the only way I could get in yeah they overhauled people so I crawled into the room on my hands and knees and wanted to get warm it was freezing but they're like well we don't have enough room and then they're trying to well because you know we need more taxes and all this like they're telling me this as I'm freezing cold outside and I'm like dude I just want to I just want to be warm 
I didn't wear a parka. It was cold. Anyway, it was 42. And then it was really windy because it's like between two buildings that are like up. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so the wind was like ripping through. It was cold. Anyway, so then finally, a couple hours into that, I get called in to go to go on a jury, right? And I, of course, I got to be out of, they, they overcalled people. So there were like 300 people there, I think, or almost 300. And I, of course, ended up in, uh, I was juror number one. Juror number one. Awesome. So um, anyway, and then I go in there and I'm like, you know, this is, this is me. And I'm like, well, I, I feel like I'm supposed to be here. And then, um, cause I did. And I was looking and I was just sending love to this. I don't even know what case I was sitting on, but it was a young man and who just looked like he needed love. So I was sitting there sending this man love. I'm loving you. I'm loving you. Mike, you need yeah, this. Anyway. Right. Yeah. So, but then the judge is like, well, we're not going to have the trial this week. So you need to come back all of next week. And I'm like, I can't, I can't come back all of next week. Like I homeschool, I have this baby. Um, so, so you mentioned Sylvia's 16 months old. How about um, Harvey and Violet? Oh yeah. Harvey is five and Violet's seven. Okay. So. And you're homeschooling all of them. Yes. Okay. Yes. So um, I'm like, well, it seemed really interesting, frankly. And I'm like, but I can't, there's no way that I can do this actually. Every day for a full week. Well, and the whole next week, it was like I had a plan in place for that week. And then I couldn't come back the entire next week. Like it wasn't gonna, you know, it wasn't going to work. So, um, you know, and all these moms I had talked to kind of on like the home, the Fresno homeschool board was like, well, if you just say you're homeschooling, you know, they release you if you go in there and say you're homeschooling. So I was like, oh yeah, this is no big deal. And I was like, you know, they asked if there were people who there had 55 jurors in that room. Um, and then, you know, the attorneys and all that stuff. So they had called 55 jurors into the room and I'm on the stand as juror number one. And um, the judge is, uh, you know, says, that, um, you know, is there anyone that this is an extreme hardship for? So I raised my hand and he's like, juror number one. And I'm like, well, I, you know, I'm a homeschooling mom of a seven-year-old, a five-year-old and a 15-month-old. And I got her age right there, right? Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> and like, I just expected some um, iota of respect and just got blasted. He's like, well, I don't care about your older kids. Like it's, or I don't care. He about said, I don't care about your older kids. And that was how he started the conversation. That was his first line. And he's like, well, it's the baby I'm worried about or something. It's the baby. Like, where's the baby? And I'm like, well, my husband took off work and like, and that's when he went into this whole, well, what do you do when you have to do something? And I'm like, uh, I take my kids. He's like, well, what do you do when, um, you know, you have to go somewhere. Like I didn't understand. And I'm like, I take my kids. Like I'm very into letting my children experience life with me. You know, I feel like that's essential for kids. Um, And, um, and then the line, like, well, what are you going to do? And, and at one point I looked at him and I like, I couldn't talk. I was just like, is this real? <laughs> do you know, one of those moments where I just have this, is this for real? And he's like, I need all the responses to my questions to be verbal. And I'm like, uh, you know, and then, um, he said, well, what are you going to do if you get hit by a Mack truck and are hospitalized? 
And I was like, well, uh, it hasn't happened yet. Like that would be a problem. You know, I didn't know. What to <laughs> and then, um, I, he said some other stuff, but I don't remember, you know, everything. I was just, it was kind of unbelievable. And like, well, I don't know what to say. Um, I wasn't rude back or anything. I was very, um, trying to answer these questions and kind of in disbelief. I was very speechless, uh, frankly. Um, Would you guys do, do do me a favor real quick. And if you know how to do this, Ryan, go into your settings for your microphone. This picture, by the way, Harvey does not look like a happy camper. No, (laughs) (laughs) he did not want to be reeled in for that picture. Do you know any more than you wanted to reel him in? No, it wasn't even that. He had been sitting, the photographer had him sitting on this little stool and like Harvey wouldn't hold his body up and he kept like flopping off the back. So the photographer took the stool away. Oh gosh. <laughs> Cause he like. He didn't want to hold, hold still. Body. Well, no, if someone else is holding his body, he just like lets the whole thing go. Yeah. The body was like flopping and the photographer's like, no, stand next to your mom. What? <laughs> like the second you touch him he just like releases into well then you can hold my whole body up so like a floppy fish or something anyway so yeah it's kind of funny they did this photograph and sylvia looks mad too yeah yeah all right so so i think i think where we were you you had talked about the response from the judge and and so yeah. then, then you went home and you, you well, Facebooked no, no, no. about it. I don't no, know. No, no, oh, there's no. more too. Okay. okay. So then what really got me was, okay. So there were four people asking to get off of the jury. Okay. And there was this like gigantic pregnant lady there um, who happened to be Asian. Okay. Who um, has a, an 18 month old or a 20 month old, a little kid. And she's like, well, you know, I need to go pick my son up at noon, you know, in like half an hour or something. And cause he goes to daycare or something, um, you know, for three hours, three days a week or something. And, um, I kind of watched the judge do the same thing of, well, I just, you know, something about, he doesn't understand, um, these people without childcare available to them. And, you know, then to her, he, and I'm like, you know what, we should be telling a pregnant lady to go take a nap, you know, not berating her. And this woman was like humongous for not wanting to do jury duty because she has this 18 month old who is, you know, about to have his world turned upside down with this baby. And you want mom to get away for a week so that she can be on your jury. There's lots of capable people here. You know, I'm not saying mom should have off forever. It's just like, well, kids are small. I, I don't see the harm in it, frankly. Um, the, the most important thing are their kids anyway. But to her, he was like, well, what does your husband do? And she's like, well, he's a, he's a surgeon. And he's like, well, what'd you say? Cause the woman wasn't speaking up obviously because we're terrified of this man. Um, and she's like, oh, he was an anesthesiologist. That was right. And, and then he's like, well, what does he do? And she's like, he's a doctor. And he's like, well, then you can afford childcare. Okay. You know? And she's like, well, like, but who's going to do it? Do you know, like, who's this magic babysitter I can call to manage everything all of next week, you know, over Thanksgiving, I'm supposed to find this person, you know? Um, that we obviously don't have. Um, 
anyway, and that's when I was, and then when, you know, he was talking to this male nurse who was like, well, I have to work to support my family. And he was like, well, yeah, yeah, that's important. You know, he worked these nursing jobs and I'm like, there's, there's something really wrong here. So then, and he's like, I'm not letting you, any of you off jury duty. Like I'm calling you back in, you know, as soon as he possibly could basically. And, and, you know, just no compassion. So then I go down to the office because I have to get rescheduled, right? So we have to go across the corridor, go into the other room. And the woman in the office was like, well, he told you you had to come back. And I'm like, yeah. Um, and she's like, well, like I would just let you off for a year, but I can't judge his orders. Like she had to put me in as soon as she possibly could, which wow. he wanted to be in December, but, um, it, uh, the next opening was in January. So I'm scheduled to go back. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, just writing in, like I've written in before, okay, I homeschool and still gotten called in. That happened when I was pregnant with Sylvia, I was called in and um, I wasn't, I don't think I was ever, you know, you check online. I was never asked to go down there, but they were like, okay, we'll postpone you until near Christmas, you know, your Christmas break for homeschooling. Cause you get so much time off homeschooling. Um, but it wasn't, a, um, you know, you get off and then other people, like I have a friend who homeschools, who, uh, has six kids that she homeschools and they like took her out of the list to even contact for jury duty. So it seems really inconsistent depending on the person you get. And then subsequently, since the story has gone viral, um, I've just heard horror stories from so many people that have, you know, obviously this draws attention to something we need to talk about, about motherhood, about, um, you know, public officials. Uh, you know, I feel like it hits in a lot of different places for a lot of different people. Yeah. Anyway, backing up. So the next morning I woke up really early and I was like, well, I just have to, I've got to write this down, you know? So I, I wrote my little Facebook post in which I got Sylvia's age wrong um, at like five o'clock in the morning. And I, um, I, you know, write it over again and I put it out there on Facebook and I put the judge's name in it too. And where he was, because I wanted to draw attention to the fact that this is a person treating another person like that. And what really struck me in the situation is like, here I am and this room has over 60 people in it. And everyone just has to sit here and say nothing because, you know, like this is okay. It's not okay. And, um, and I feel like we owe it to each other as human beings to ensure that, that each one of us is treated with respect. Like it's our duty as human beings to, to stand up for our fellow man. So to be, how, how are we, how are we doing at that? Yeah. Interesting. Well, although <laughs> you know, this, because this story has taken off so much, I'm like, I think that it, you know, something resonates. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. And, and I feel like for me, like I came at it too from this, um, you know, my PhD dissertation um, covers a lot. Uh, it's on late 18th century American culture, a lot about educational culture. And um, I get into this idea um, that historians now call of Benjamin Rush, who was one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, that, um, 
historians now call Republican motherhood that I think actually gets misinterpreted quite a bit. Um, Noah Webster is behind it and, and, you know, kind of a different version of it. But it's this idea that in order for the American government to succeed, we need educated women in the home. And we need women taking that. Um, we need women taking care of young children. And this idea that young children are people is actually new to the 18th century. You find it in Rousseau writing about, you know, um, you know, there's this practice in France. Over half the babies in Paris were sent out to a wet nurse. Um, and people would swaddle babies and they would hang them on a hook. Okay. And that was it. You wonder why infant mortality is so high. It's not just because of disease. It's because of how we view children and how we view infants. Hmm. And, you know, if they lived till adult, you know, to be like a person, then we would put energy into them. Okay. Um, so Rousseau comes along and is like, you know, our spiritual development and emotional development is put into place, um, you know, under the age of five as a child, and we need to take care of children. And this idea is taken up in the United States um, as a way to ensure basically the success of the government, because if people got angry, they thought the government would succeed. So the way to ensure that people are emotionally balanced and don't get wrapped up in their anger was to put a lot of emphasis on the education of women in order and to prioritize in women's education taking care of young children. Um, so then I'm looking at this judge and I'm like, this is so anti Benjamin Rush and anti founding fathers. Um, and un-American is my, my infamous now viral video of me talking about it, saying that it's un-American. Well, this is why I'm saying it's un-American because, um, because the French guy Rousseau said it was, well, no, I'm teasing. You, I just do that. I just have to throw those in every once in a while when I haven't talked for a long time. Don't insult my Benjamin Rush. No, Benjamin yeah. Rush can be like really weird. Even his wife complained in letters that like he's impossible to understand the yeah. physician in Philadelphia. But I feel like when you get into Rush, not only Rush, but like what I did in my I, I thought I thought you were saying Rousseau. Well, Rousseau says it, but it gets picked up in the U.S. Big time. Oh, okay. All right. You got this idea and it becomes like caring for children becomes very American. Mm. Okay. The Americans were never that into sending their kids off to wet nurses, but this idea that we had to put, um, that it mattered how you treated babies and infants and small children. And because, because that you wanted the government to succeed. So that's so, so that, that became a, a quirk of American culture yes. from, and, and Benjamin Rush, what, what you're, I mean, you're talking about signing of the declaration of independence. Yeah, so the declaration of independence, I think of the 1787, he has yeah. thoughts on the young ladies Academy of Philadelphia, which was one big school. And then what you find, like what I had done in my research was I went through um, all these published pamphlets of um, these women's schools graduation and looked at how women were talking about that duty. So that's I don't, duty. I don't even really like that word, but how they were talking about that job and how mm -hmm. they, like a lot of historians read it as look at these, you know, these women that weren't allowed to work. And when I went through and started looking at these women's own voices and in journals and these kind of things, I'm seeing that they're seeing this as an opening to, to really matter and to be successful. And this is what we need to do in order for this government to succeed. Because you have this fear in late 18th century America that they're going to turn into France, right? Um, 
you know, it's a big experiment. There's a lot of anxiety over how the government's going to work out. And that was something that um, people really took a hold of, hmm. um, or at least that's how I do the research. And, and instead of feeling like, oh, you know, this isn't an important job, women thought well, this is really important, you know, and it's important that like a women's education at that time um, was very, very similar to uh, liberal arts education right now, much more so than men's education at the time. And, um, and they also, you know, they learned accounting, they learned astronomy, they learned multiple languages. Like I dealt with these documents where these women are, these women are fluent in four languages, um, you know, and they were doing all this so that they could, um, well, one, because they thought that, um, you know, the thought at the time was that, um, an educated woman. No, but you were always developing yourself as a person. Oh, okay. So it, was, it wasn't just a means to an end to raise no. a, a generation of children to have a more stable government. I think that's there, but then they also have this idea of education rather than, you know, we go into education as I think a lot in our culture is like, what job is it going to get me? You know, what is this going right. to get me? Yeah. And what box do I have to check off to get where I need to go? And they're into expanding themselves as people. And yeah. I, I really resonate with that 18th century idea of education and that it, um, you know, it's us as people continuing to expand and continuing to question and it um, really valuing curiosity, valuing, I feel like spiritual and emotional growth. And um, that's how I try to educate my kids as well. And it, um, it's much more about the person and, and following their curiosity. And I mean, there's a language of kind of morality around it. I feel like too, like this is right. But I, I do feel like, you know, even though I, I like this postmodernist framework where, well, we don't know what truth is. Like, I also feel like it is important to distinguish between right and wrong and to in ourselves, I feel like to be asking, okay, what thing should I be doing in this moment? Like, what's the right thing to do in this moment? You know, rather than, oh, well, there's no truth. Well, you know, this next step forward that I'm going to take, what is it? You know, to live life in a committed and um, I want to say serious way. All right. So you, so, um, uh, your, your story has gone viral and that, that's, that's an indication to you that there's something out there in the culture that this touched on. Yeah. And absolutely. like, we want to talk about that and, and you know, the, what, what you've been talking about with education, the way that it was in the 1800s, did, do you look at that as something that we've lost as a, as a culture today or early 1800s? And I feel like it gets lost, you know, after that, especially for women. Is it because of Joseph Smith? The education is watered down. No. Because of the Mormon church and all that? They just ruined it for everybody? No. I'm, I'm just teasing. It's because well, it's mean, a Mormon it's podcast. A broader, it's a broader culture of um, um, a different way to look at women and men. Like late 18th century, they don't think that men and women aren't equal like that's that the equality thing isn't even in their mind. But they have this idea that men and women are different. Hmm. So they're not going to talk about equality because they think that they're e like, it's a given that they're equal. They just see them as kind of coming from a different mold. When did women get the right to vote? 
uh, it's like 19, 1912 or something right there, like 1914, 16. Something. Google. Oh, Google. That's, that's too recent for me, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so do you guys want to talk about, um, like what, what comes up for you that, that are the things that are really important for people to hear, especially for an audience that, um, you know, men, many listening will probably remember the, the you know, the, the, the Mormon psychic episodes that we did. You guys aren't Mormon anymore. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk about that at all. Um, or, you know, you, you, you take a very, you know, since, since I gotten to know you, I've had the opportunity to, to meet you and spend time with you um, on several occasions and meet your kids and see you guys as parents. And the, the, the way you raise your kids is different than a lot of people, I, I think. And I, I think it's really, really nice. I mean, you, you're, you're, your kids are very um, just sweet and uh I, I I think it's a reflection of the love and the care that you guys give to them that seemed to be really dismissed by this judge as like what 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 do you mean you don't it's not that important that the parents actually spend all this time with the child there's got to be other people that you can pay to take care of that burden to take that burden off of you like you would find a dog sitter. You know? Yeah, like you'd find like, a dog sitter or something. This isn't like finding a pet sitter. Well, and I mean, these are people. I mean, that's my where I come from as a parent. And thank you for the kind words you're saying. Is that th- these aren't lesser people growing into something. Like I feel like that's what Rousseau was coming out against. Yeah. These are fully grown people. My daughter said one time, I think she was three or four, Violet. And she looked at me and she was like, people don't, she would get frustrated when people, you know, when she was treated like a, like a little, I think like little kids are sometimes. Sure. Yeah. What people don't understand is that I'm just a big soul in a little body. She said that to you? Yes. Yeah. Like people don't get this, you know, this is really (laughs) frustrating for me. Um, I can see her. I can see her frustration with that. um, And I, I mean, I remember that feeling that like when she was first born and I looked at her and I'm, you know, I, I, you know, I have these ideas and I have this women's studies degree and I'm like, yeah. oh, you know, the, and I looked at her and I'm like, this is a huge person in this little baby body. Yeah. It's completely different. Than, I don't know what I was, expl- you know, I think that I thought, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to mold this person and I'm going to shape this person. And I realized like this person is here to mold and shape me, you know, and I need to listen. And I also need to be their voice and listen to not, um, you know, I think that sometimes um, it's not that I don't want to parent with no boundaries and no rules. If anything, I feel like I'm, I'm into yeah. that, but sure. I'm into that because of what's for your highest good and like right. what you actually want to do, you know? And so I have conversations with my kids about that, not, you know, what do you want in this moment, but what do you want for your life? You know, um, something that's been, been on my mind a lot lately. And I, I don't, I don't know that I've really articulated it very much on the podcast. Um, but, but it's, it's this idea that 
culture is something that we create. I mean, I've definitely talked about this in, yes. in, you know, like as Mormon culture that, you know, like you're raised and you're, you're taught that things are a certain way. And then you find out, Oh wait, no, they're not. And a lot of people will go, Oh, well then it's just all just bullshit then. And I, and I usually say, well, well, hold on. <laughs> like, what do you mean by bullshit? You know, I, I, I think there's, there's this real value in coming out of a Mormon culture and being able to see the influence of a lot of people whose agreement on this is the way that things are and this is how things should be, that creates these norms of society and these, these cultural rules. But on, on a much larger level than Mormonism, we, we live in this culture that we all contribute to in ways that I don't think we're really all that aware of or even totally in agreement on on what that is. And I, I think there's something there with, with this experience. Well, and, and something I will say to that is, um, when I, uh, when I was teaching, I taught in the women's studies department at the college in New Jersey for a while, and I would teach, um, gender and popular culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and something my students always said at the beginning of the semester was, well, yeah, that's in popular culture and that's our society, but this doesn't influence me. Right. And something I came to say was like, and, and came to live, I feel like I live this, is that, you know, you wouldn't eat a Big Mac every day and say, well, and, you know, that doesn't affect me. Like I can eat whatever I want and the food doesn't affect me. And sure. I feel like our brains are that way. Oh, absolutely. thing that we put inside of it, I say we have to think about that like we think about our food choices. And, and everything we encounter, we put inside of it. Yes. It's not even a conscious choice. Yes. Like everything that we're, like, I, I don't even think that we're aware of how sensitive we are to the environment around yes. us and how that shapes us in ways that we don't think about. Well, and I just accept, and, and it's you know it's this idea that, but I can I feel like almost everyone I encountered in that class. I think actually I hate to say everyone, but I didn't have sure. a single student who didn't express this that like somehow this stuff in you know this popular culture or you know these movies or the ads on TV, you know everything. Well, it influences other people, but I understand what's going on. And then what else? <laughs> what else I do from that is like you know, and then you we're putting so much energy into not allowing this stuff into us. Like even if you are fighting it, you're consciously fighting it. And how I've kind of shifted my own life to be like, I want as little of that fight as possible. Mm. Can you give me some specific examples of the fight? Well, I think the fight with, okay, I'm going to, you know, look at, um, you know, advertisements of people with eating disorders or whatever, you know, to pull one um, thing that we would look at in class. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm looking at these gorgeous pictures of the models, but my standard of beauty is not going to be influenced by that. Oh, sure. Like, oh, or how I judge myself. Yeah, Again, I'm not, not, not going to judge myself against these beautiful pictures of models. Um, yeah. And, good, good, good try. Nice, nice try. <laughs> people think that. I think a lot. Oh, and then it's someone else's problem. I mean, that's been my thing with this. Well, this is all of our problem. And then even just, you know, being in a culture that I think can be so visual versus I feel like I, you know, I experience people like their energy a lot. Like that's what's cool to me is someone's energy. And I, I believe at this point, like, I think that we all see people like that. Yeah. We have to remember how, you know, um, and I feel like some of that comes with turning off 
off the eyes or to, you know, being really conscious about the decisions that I make, not like, okay, and now I'm going to go relax in front of my TV for two hours. I'm not saying that TV is bad, but what am I putting in my brain from the TV? What am I creating in my life too? That's like, what do I want to put energy into every day that I'm creating, you know? Um, not just for myself, but for my community, for my sure. connections, for my friends, for some of itself, like, um, you know, putting energy into, um, an activity. I like for me, horseback riding. Okay. Mm-hmm. I want to put energy into this because I enjoy it and because I want to get better at it. And what feeds your, what feeds your soul, feed yourself. That's been something that's been up for me the past couple of years. Like, how do I feed myself? Mm. Not just with food, but as a spirit, as a person, as a social being, as someone, um, in relationship with people I love and care about. Yeah. Um, well, I was, I was just going to say that, like not to tout our own horn or whatever, but like for me, it's been a big difference going from where like being at home with my parents, the television was on all the time. Right. Never turned off. And um, where now we, you know, the television is in a separate room and I have nothing against watching television, but like just, just the stuff that comes in through that, that you're not even aware of the advertisements and, and there's so much, I mean, it just like, there's so much advertisement for crap, like just really just garbage, whether it's the food or the makeup or the whatever it is, it's all crap. Like it's cheaply made. It's just like, it's a, it's a mass produced. It's made so it's a lowest common denominator that will just satisfy anybody for the least amount of money. And it's just like, why would I? It's not, I don't really think about going out to eat eating crap or eating or, you know, just stuff that's not good for you when it's, like, yeah. so it's just as easy to do the other stuff. And it's just like, not that everyone has to do that. And that's just our choice. And that's what we're doing. And, and I, but I think that it's easier because the television's not on all the time. Sure. I ask people to go to McDonald's because they don't see television ads showing how delicious it is and how much yeah. fun it is. I, I can imagine. I can imagine a point in the future um, when you know future generations look back at this point in time when I just just the, the the book *Sapiens* changed the way that I look at humans, right? Because my my experience with with humans started. I was born in 1972, right? And I've seen in the course of my lifetime the internet and you know all all just like this connection, the way that we're connecting to each other. But even, even before that, once you've got radio, once you've got television, people are connecting with other people in ways that had never been done ever before in, in the history of our species. And the, the ways that our bodies have evolved to interact socially with each other, it's not prepared for this. We're like, we're taxing ourselves with so much, I, I think. And, and where, when you've got um, corporations that have a product like Coca-Cola or something like that, which um, years and years of drinking diet Coke gave me a kidney stone that I just recently had removed. So just unpleasant. And, and I'm, I'm sitting in the movie theater a couple of weeks ago, knowing that I've got a kidney stone inside of me and I'm watching this, let's go to the movies. And you know, they're like the, the, the happy Cokes and all of the beautiful people that are lovely and happy and smiling at each other. And the messages that are going like, you'll be happy too, if you only have a Coke. And like, like my body started going, 
yeah, mm, I'd really like that Diet Coke right now. And, and just like, it was so obvious to me how conditioned I've become to those messages that I've been bombarded with my entire life, taking for granted, you know, whether it's through the television or wherever it is, that, that I, I do think that there will be future generations that look back at this point in time and go, how did they survive that? You know, like they, 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 they were bombarding themselves with all of these messages and really brainwashing each other without knowing it. Although they know it, they spent the Coca Cola, they spend a lot of time and money researching these ads and what's most important and what's most effective. And they're not measuring efficacy against the common general health. It's the bottom line of the, the, the most addictive substance is sugar sugar yeah 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 like tobacco you look at what sugar is doing yeah oh i mean i think it's interesting though because people know it and yet we still buy the products and that's where i feel like then stop but we're watching stop television it. every day which is yeah. looking at ads every day stop and we're stronger than this yes yeah. And we have yes. something more meaningful and that's each other. Yes. Uh, we that's do, but it's harder. It's 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 harder. It's harder to take the time to go and do horseback riding than it is to sit on your couch and watch no. friends. But, but I don't so think it is fun. once you yeah. do like, once you start. Once yeah. that becomes the normative, and that's what's been like, I think it's hard because I'm in the habit of something else. Yes, right, I'm, right. I'm yeah. fully in the habit. But what's been interesting for me with my kids is like my oldest, our oldest, Violet, is super into ballet. And so she likes to watch ballets on DVD. And we would go watch the Bolshoi Ballet live at the movie theater. Right. And then, like, her thing that she thinks to do is fun when she's sick is she. <laughs> begs to watch entire ballets on DVD. Yes. Yeah. Three sure. hour ballets. Both of my kids the will sit there day. and just watch the watch, you know, if they're sick with the flu, it's like I want to watch one ballet after the other. And that is indulgent. And I think it's indulgent because they're I think that that's what they're used to, but they also choose it over anything else because it adds something to life. Yeah. You know, not that it has to be ballet. I think it, it is, that's what gets her creative juice going, you know? Yeah. And I think that once, you know, I think it's hard to move from one. I don't want to say that it's hard because I feel like the, the more you get into living life in a more purposeful way. Um, you could say it seems hard. But I think it's interesting because I think that a lot of what like, you know, what we're really wanting is each other and yeah. we move through things like watching a TV. Well, it makes us feel like we're connected to another person, but that's not a person that knows you to, you know, versus yeah. interacting with someone who actually knows you and you're making a connection deeper. You know, Do you I think there's a part of it where you also, you also feel like you are a different person vicariously because of the things that you're experiencing through this person? So you, you kind of, like, I, like, I'm wondering if we don't all have the best self image of ourselves because we're being bombarded by all of these beautiful people in commercials and saying, you could be this if you had this and this and this and this. And so we, we're constantly tearing ourselves down with messages like that. But then, then we see 
you know, I, I've already referenced friends, so let's just go Ross and Rachel, that they have this, you know, wonderful relationship, which isn't, that sucks. But anyway, the moments when it's good and we like, oh, that love that they're feeling, that they're expressing on the screen that I can feel, that's what I want in my life. And oh, I'm feeling it right now is vicariously experiencing yeah. it through them. And we feel like we're connecting and it's making us more whole, but at the same time, it's not. It's not. <laughs> well, and I feel like I have these ideas too around. I, like, I think we do that with love. I also think we do that with kind of fright. Or I feel like, you know, we watch scary stuff. And, you know, how often are you that scared in your life as like watching yeah. a scary movie? Probably a couple times. And you need to act on it. Yeah. And I also feel like we're living in this culture where we have this inability like in that courtroom, you know, for example, but sure. also other situations, we have this inability to act when something bad is happening and we actually need to act. Well, I think we spend most of our time in fight or flight, basically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, rather and, than, co- constantly, constantly, because happening. it's always, yeah, yeah. I need to do something now. Right. You know, yeah. um, and I, you know, we're, I do. I do want to say it, it, it sounds like I've been bagging on this too much and I don't want to bag on this too much because I do think that there are, I, I do think that there are positives that come from this and, um, it, and the, the hardships that we are creating for ourselves are becoming so insufferable that I think it will bring people to the point of saying, we've got to fix this. We've got to come together more than we ever have before. And I think that will be a really, really powerful point when we get there. I don't think we're there yet. Um, I, I don't think that we even understand our potential as human beings when we do work together as a group and, and we come together with a common goal, we've, we've seen it. And again, this is sapiens, right? This, this is something that sapiens talks about, but um, I think we've just scratched the surface on what we can do when we're really connected. And we've created this technology that can connect us in ways that we've never done before. It, it's just, I, I, I think it's going to be amazing. The things that we're able to do with it, unfathomable really yeah, in the future, absolutely. but there's growing pains that we're going through right now. Well, and, I, didn't they recently say that the the life expectancy in the United States has gone down for the first time? Uh, oh, really? Because of largely because of suicides. Oh, and stress, and just like stressing out the nervous system of well, and suicide. Like, isn't that an, isn't that a part? Of a well, yes, result. I'm sure, but uh, yeah. I'm sure that uh, you know, being being alone is more dangerous to your health than than smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. Yeah. Or feeling alone, you know, like, Absolutely. you know, whether people are alone or not, if, if, if they're, if they feel like they are, you know, I, this, this wasn't a great documentary that HBO did, um, uh, Robin Williams and it's something like welcome to my mind or something like that. I was really hoping that they would go more into his mental illness and what that means and how common it is and how to deal with people when they're like that. They touched on it a little bit, but, but not as much as I would like, but I, I do, I do think that that's becoming more common m- mental illness and leading to suicide. And th- this, this was something that, um, Emil Durkheim, <laughs> remember when we talked about Emil Durkheim, mm-hmm. um, uh, would, uh, predicted would happen as society became less religious and more secular, um, because, because religion is a way that through these common shared fictions, people come together and have a shared narrative and 
that's kind of been destroyed in certain ways. And I think people are looking for that sacred space in, in their, their life that connects them to other people and, and what we have, um, what we're really worshiping these days is this consumeristic culture that isn't really have our best, doesn't really have our best interest at heart in, in the grand scheme of things, but yeah. Or science. I feel like that's used as a kind of God at this point. Well, science the, says. The religion of science, um, yes. Yeah. You're not anti-science, are you? No, I'm absolutely yeah. not anti-science. I'm yeah. anti-holding science as a God. There you go. Yeah. We, we have to remind ourselves that uh, belief in science is also faith. It's a faith in the process. It's a faith in the people that are doing the science. That they're not taking into account all the variables that they need to. It's a faith that the variables that you are always going to miss don't matter as much. Like, there's a lot of faith that you're placing in that science. And it's always changing. And we see it. Yeah. You know, how much faith can you put into this science when, you know, 10 years down the road, we might think the opposite. And that happens. Over well, because we, because we'll discover, I mean, I, I to, to, to me, the, the, the biggest takeaway from science and, and, and I think this plays into what you're saying uh, about faith is that b- because, b- because people can feel very confident that this is the best way of yes. Understanding the world that we currently have, measuring, quantifying, duplicating, you know, predicting, you know, all, all of those things. It's the best approach that we have, but it's still limited by our own human perception and then the instruments that we create to enhance that perception. We, we still, we're, we're still encroaching on the realm of the unknown and, and we don't know what's on the other side of it or how far it goes. And, and that's where I think the postmodernist view is healthy. Like, yeah, right. No, we just yeah. don't know. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, there's limits. Let's, let's have some humility with it. Let's, let's recognize the faith that we're putting into knowing what we know up to this point and that there's still limitations on it. Um, but yeah, it, it's, um, where, where I have a problem with, you know, looking at science as a God and, and allowing, you know, just science, you know, if, if this scientific fact says this, then we have to start putting in laws in place and telling people how they have to live. Mm. Is that what you mean when you say science as a God? What, what exactly do you mean by that? Um, you explain it. <laughs> well, I think like I was saying, like in a, when you're in a church and you have faith in something, then you're going to live your life according to that, which is healthy but then if you start to have so much faith and so much confidence that your way is the right way, then you start trying to convince other people that they should live like you're living. Yeah. And then, well, it's so much and we've got a little few more people. So we need to force those other people to do, to live like we're living. And you can do that with God and you can do that with science. It's, it's kind it's kind of that um, Alan walked, Alan Watts talks about the ceramic model of the universe, that this worldview that the universe is created like a potter creates play. And so the the potter would be God Mm -hmm. and the clay would be our lives. And so you're saying if science, if science takes the place of the monarch and dictates the rules, Mm -hmm. um, that that's when you start having a problem when everybody's being forced to do it like a monarch. Is that, am I understanding that right? Yes. Okay. And I feel like where I come at it from, where I come from to it as well is, you know, just as 
kind of my intuitive self. I feel like sometimes people, well, I no longer believe in God and science can't prove that what you're doing is real. And at this point, I'm not saying everything I do is 100% correct at all, but I feel like I have <laughs> this list of stuff yeah. that I've predicted or known, or I had a dream about this person. It was actually what they were going through. And yeah. you know, my list would be a book by now if I continued to keep it. And it's like, I don't know how you prove that that's real, except that like, I cannot, I cannot explain to you what's going on. Right. I don't think that science can explain to you what's going on, but I have all this evidence. So someday we'll understand that maybe we have more senses and you know, who knows? Uh, but it doesn't make it not real because I can't prove it with science. Like I have evidence. Okay. You know, and I, I wonder how many things, how many other things out there are like that, not just me, but I think you know, a lot of us has these kind of experiences and um, we don't understand it yet in a rational way. And that doesn't mean that it can't be understood in a rational way. It's just that we we're not there yet. Yeah. What, why, why, why is there such a premium put on understanding things in the rational way? R ration isn't something, rationality is a rarely recent, uh, recent feature of evolution. Well, we're, 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 we're youngsters when it comes to, to rationality and reason. Are we right? youngsters when it comes to reason? I think our reasons have changed. I think talking about it in that way has changed. But I, I mean, I think people throughout time get stuck in this idea that, well, you know, this is the most progress we've ever made right now. I don't see how we would ever know anymore. You know, I think we have to humble ourselves with, okay, we know a lot. There's a lot we don't know. There you go. Yeah. Kind of to, to take it back. I think, I'm not sure. <laughs> but um, I think it's interesting that at this point, we have so much at our fingertips, like knowledge at our fingertips of what, like where in the past, it's been hard to, to get to the knowledge yes. that's been created. And we have stores of knowledge. And like, I've, I've just kind of been thinking about, you know, to being a stay-at-home mom and what that involves and um, kind of some of the comments and how it, it was like, oh, well, she, she gets to be a stay-at-home mom and she, you know, just kind of like talking down on it, like I have to work and so I'm bitter and I'm going to lash out at you because you don't have to work. You get the luxury of staying at home and sitting with your kids all day. But um, being a homeschooler and, the, and just allowing the kids to learn what they want to learn like there's so much at our fingertips and as they get older, it's, and just to kind of, in, to, to encourage that because their, their, their natural curiosity pulls that out. And then for me, like, and I think that a lot of people are doing this and listening to podcasts and putting ideas out there and they're really interesting and interested in learning. And I think as we, you know, there's a lot of people thinking about big things and it's very interesting to see it happening. And, and hopefully we are moving away from television and towards, you know, conversations like this. It reminds me of kind of the, the print explosion in the 18th century when, you know, it was such a big deal. Like I think of the French encyclopedia, the first encyclopedia and how novel it was. Right. That I could learn anything from a book and not a person. I can mm. learn from a book. I don't have to learn from a person. And I feel like we're to a place where, you know, we want to go beyond 
the print and back to people, you know, that I wonder if in some ways it's making a full circle. Yeah. You know, Interesting. and that we learn, you know, we have amazing tools to connect with people and we need to remember that behind behind all the print, behind the newspapers, our people, that was very apparent in the 18th century. You didn't trust a newspaper. You know, you um, knew that, of course, it was opinions behind it. And and then I feel like we kind of can move into a place. And I know my students, my college students do this sometimes. What well, says in the book, it's true. Yeah. You know, rather than one of the big things I talk about with my music history students, like it's a person writing this, you know, what don't we know? What don't we know? Where, where are we missing evidence? You know, what conclusions are we drawing to, to really, um, and to get back to the people creating stuff and the connection between people that um, all these mediums of communication can facilitate, but it needs to go back to the people. I want to, I, I want to, Try this out. I, I've uh, I've had this floating around in my head for maybe at least a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months. Mm-hmm. It's hard to tell. Mm-hmm. I haven't really talked. I haven't really said it out loud. Cool. Um, so I'm kind of trying this for the first time. I, uh, pieces of it I've had. So so uh, Ryan will have heard this on a, a previous Infants on Thrones podcast. There was a, um, uh, a theoretical physicist David Tong who was talking about quantum field theory that I got really, really excited about, still am. And um, that basically every single electron that's in the world, any, anything, the desk that I'm sitting at, the microphone that I'm speaking into, you that are you know, sitting across uh, the states you know, for, from me, all of these electrons are connected by a common electron field. And, and each little electron is just like this bundle of energy that bundles up at once. And that, that's, it's called a quantum unit. That's what quantum means. It's a bundle of energy, but it's all this field. And there are quantum fields and there are other kinds of fields. There's probably about 24 different types of fields that they've been able to identify based on the, the types of um, energy that there is at the quantum level. So we're all connected in this way. And, and what we are is the manifestation of all of this energy swirling around, doing all of the different dances and patterns that it does to create our biology, to create our organs that sustain life, mm-hmm. uh, our brains, our, you know, all of this, our personalities. And it's all doing this in kind of different ways. It's almost like waves on, a, on an ocean, and, and each one of us is like the crest of a wave on this ocean, but we're all the same H2O, you know, like we're, we're basically all the same stuff. And, and maybe people think that that's God or source or, you know, these different, the universe or whatever name you want to call for it. So, so we are this intricate swirling pattern design of all of this stuff that I, I think of it as like a flashlight like, like what I'd like to do, if I ever get to do a TED talk or something like that, I'd, mm-hmm. I'd stand up on the stage and I'd have a flashlight in my hand and I'd shine it onto a, a flat screen. So you can just see, here's the light. Like if we could see truth, if we could see God, if we could see source, all of well, this, this quantum field stuff, this is what it would look like. But it's being filtered through each and every single one of us. And we're each like a fingerprint, like a snowflake, this unique design. So what, what we express isn't truth but it's like truth being contrasted against whatever design or pattern that I hold up in front of the flashlight, whether that's the letter A or the letter B or a tree or a dog, you know, like whatever twisted, beautiful 
piece of art it is. And it moves, it changes. We're not like just the same. We're always like swirling and wiggling and, and moving around, but we're unique. And so like what, what we're doing when we're connecting with each other, there's, there's that part of that energy that we're all connected to that we kind of maybe can recognize and go, okay, yeah, that stuff. But it's really the contrast. It's the uniqueness that adds adds uh, variety to the world, whether that's beauty or pain or suffering or all of the, the different things that we bring to it. Um, and uh, I, I'm not quite sure where to take that analogy from there, but I like, sure. so I want to give it to you guys. What would you do with that? Oh, the thing that occurred to me while you're talking was, um, you know, listening to your conversation with uh, Dave and Chelsea. Right. Dr. Weird Science. Yeah. Um, where they were talking about, you know, the different senses and how potentially humans in, in our past had the sense of magnetism so we could sell which direction was sure. Yeah. What if the next step in our evolution is something that's more of a sense of these quantum fields? And so there are some people that are exhibiting some of these capabilities that's the next evolution of humankind like this. See, I, yeah, I mean, I, and, and I think, I think I, what, what I would call that is the expansion of the ego because the, you know, like what, what, what is the ego? The, the ego is that portion of our brain that functions as like a radar on a ship. Mm-hmm. That that through our long history of evolution, there was a there was an advantage to those creatures that were able to remember things. Oh, that's good. Well, I'll I'll remember where the food sources are. I'll remember where the danger is. I'll, I'll remember these things. There's a survival advantage to that. People that then can turn that, or I, I'm saying people, but but life that is able to um, turn that into. Um, uh, like anticipating the future. I'm going to make predictions based on what I remember and I'm going to create strategies. Wow. Big advantage, survival advantage there. And then I'm going to think of myself, not as this whole ocean that I'm a part of, but as the wave, I'm going to think of myself as a self and I'm going to really focus this awareness and this consciousness that I have and that I am on this really narrow band of photons, you know, so, so light, the five senses, hearing, feeling, smelling, that's where I'm going to focus. That's how I'm going to make my way in the world and survive. And so, so I think what you're saying, Ryan, is an evolution of that awareness, that radar system, that we start picking up on the other things, not only that are out there, but that are in here. Because we, like, we know that we've got more in our brains than we, than we consciously access. Mm-hmm. And, and I, that's the key. It's, the, it's what we're aware of. It's there. It's beating our heart. It's doing our lungs. It's growing our hair. It's making our eyes the color that they are. It's doing all these things, but it's on automatic. We're not really aware of it. And because we identify so strongly with this ego that we're, that we think that that's what we are. And we think that that's all that we are. And once that stops, everything stops. But I, I think the evolution that, that all of this technology is driving and, and other other things can drive, you know, like people who do psychedelics. I read that book, Michael Pollan, um, uh, how to change your mind. And you know, the, the section where he talks about the science of what's going on in the brain when somebody's on LSD or somebody's doing DMT or psilocybin or these kinds of things, you have regions of your brain that are interacting with each other that don't typically do that. And so, like, to me, I think, oh, well, maybe that's an expansion of an awareness, but we don't have the, the history or the experience or the language to really put a lot of meaning into it. And so everybody gets these 
very unique experiences based on their own, the, 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 the architecture of their brain, the geography of their soul, or whatever you want to call that unique swirling pattern that sources filtering through. <laughs> I think I said that pretty well. Yeah, that's amazing. I love the image you you gave. And it's something yeah. I find I tell clients a lot. And I, I like to think of it like, this is not as poetic and beautiful, but I like to think of it like <laughs> ice cream. Okay. Yeah. In that we're all, I'm sure you've heard me say this, like we're all this different flavor of ice cream. And there's not one ice cream that's good but vanilla ice cream chocolate strawberry like you've got some problems it's like you're one (laughs) you know your job here is to be the best spumoni ice cream you could possibly be or the best mint chocolate chip like not to pine after you know cherry vanilla or whatever it's just be the flavor you are hey but if 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 you've got a hankering for cherry vanilla go eat cherry vanilla until you barf and then feel the feelings of barfing <laughs> you know what i mean like it's like oh there's just there's so many amazing flavors just like there's so many amazing spirits it's not this i think we get caught up in trying to be the best or what that even could mean or that you know one certain way is going to be the best way or one spirit is more gifted than the other or whatever and it's like just be the flavor you are and be it with reckless abandon yeah and and what what a shock that there's so much anxiety in this culture where we're being brainwashed all the time to buy this product this product is the best product this is the the, these clothes are going to make you the best version of yourself this makeup is going to make you the best version of yourself this doodad and gadget and car is going to make you cooler than anybody else and so we we don't we're not trained from a very young age to appreciate the things that make us unique and the things that make us different we're we're trained to hate it yeah yeah and, and that, that's where, you know, like to take it back to your kids and, and, you know, I, I haven't spent a ton of time with you, but, but on, on the few occasions, like I, I love it when like the, there'll be a big group of people just kind of sitting around in the room, maybe there's music playing and Violet comes in and she's just a free spirit dancing anywhere she wants to go and, you know, just spinning around and people will stop and look at her and just, uh, you know, like the first time I saw it, I'll admit, and I am embarrassed by that. I thought, Ooh, that's, that rubs my senses the wrong way. And I had to stop and go, well, why is that? Like, why are my senses the way that they are where this, you know, like beautiful expression of the six-year-old girl or seven or however old she was when I saw her doing that. Um, and just the, she's so happy and, and the happiness, the joy that everybody else had from watching her do it, you know, and like, sure, I can imagine some people might watch and be annoyed or think, boy, that mother really ought to get her under control or something. But I kind of uh, probably shouldn't be judgy of that, but I'm kind of a little bit judgy of that. So <laughs> I, 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 I applaud what I see in you guys um, and in and, and ways that you parent your kids. Like you, you all sleep in the same bed. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. I think that's amazing. I think that's amazing joins in now and 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 when i heard you guys when i heard you guys first talking about that and some of the reasons why and maybe i should let you say it instead of me just talking about it but it it just seemed to make so much sense and it's like yeah this is one of those things where we we're born into a culture where everybody has separate rooms and separate beds and you've 
you're like, okay, it's nighttime. Let's everybody go into our walls and be separated by walls. And, you know, uh, uh, I, I don't, I don't think that it has the, the most healthy impact on young kids to have that kind of separation at that young age. And I love that you guys do what you do. Violet, Violet was not going to take it any other way. <laughs> she forced it. Yeah. Big soul, little body. Was, at some point it was like, okay, I either have to break this kid or we just give in because it's, it's not going to stop. And, and we would no, never, I mean, and, no. and like no. breaking the kid was never like. See, yeah. but that's what I would have done. That's what I did right. do. I did yeah. do that to my kids. Well, and I think I come at it too. And, and, and this exposes, I guess, my background probably more than I'm comfortable with, but I'm hanging it all out there lately. All right. so, well, like, I feel like I was left to cry in a crib from the time I was the yeah. day, a day old. No, and yeah, me too. I always have this like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be alone. Oh my gosh, I'm going to be alone. And with this kind of underlying anxiety, I've been, I think most of it's gone at this point, but it's been serious work to get it there. And just to know that you know, I'll always be held and taken care of and to kind of watch that flourish as my kids have gotten older, where they'll just run off and okay, I'm independent. I can make my own decisions. Great. Like they know they're going to be loved. Yeah. Um, and isn't that the opposite of what people say? You know, yes. They're like, no, you've got to wean your kids so that they won't be dependent on you. It's like, no, you've got to love them so that they know that that's always there. Yes. That you'll always <laughs> be loved no matter it's, what. It's always do. there. No, I had the, I, uh, you know, you shared that Krista, but I, my mom and I had this conversation a while back um, that when, you know, I'm the oldest and she was, she was a young mother. She was like 21 years old when I was born. Um, and my dad is seven years older than her and you know, they're Mormon. So who's in charge? And, and when, when I would cry from the other room and she would instinctively want to go up and get me, he would say, no, I've read Dr. Spock. Dr. Spock says, don't Dr. Spock says we need to wean them. And it just tortured her. It killed. And, and so like, I can only speculate as to what it did to me, but I, I can imagine that at this very young age, I'm alone. I don't want to be alone. I want my mom. I want love. I'm not getting it. I'm yelling at the top of my lungs to get it. It's not coming. And then what do I do? I go, well, just fuck them. This, this little, you know, like two month old baby going, just fuck them then. Just fuck them. It's not, it's not worth, it's not worth wanting to love. You know, like we could go down into all kinds of things like that. Well, it's, that's the most common way that people are brought up in this world these days. Not in this Stars. world. Maybe our world. Uh, I mean, I it's just me. It's, it's no, I think it's, I think it's common still. Yeah. I think it's changing. Yeah, I hope so. I, I think it is changing. I mean, I see my students that I'm teaching at a local um, university and they're so much more emotionally intelligent. Yeah. I'm not that there's not, you know, other flaws that, that are coming into the younger generation. It's not that, you know, and they openly will talk about their emotions with everybody, you know, and that is different. Last year when I was working with Michael Ferguson on the Spiritual Brain podcast, we interviewed a guy named um, Ross Rosenberg Mm -hmm. um, about self-love deficit disorder. Man, that was a life-changing conversation for me. And he talked about this this therapist called Eric Erickson 
that was a German guy that uh, Erickson wasn't his original last name. I don't remember what it was, but when he immigrated to the U.S., he changed his name to Erickson because he had such an abusive relationship with his father. He's like, I'm going to become my own father, Eric Erickson. Mm-hmm. And, and he was one of the, the pioneers in this kind of child development psychology and attachment trauma with kids. I, I, I still need to look into that and, and read that more, but it, it really made an impact. And, and that, that was, um, so I was kind of carrying that with me um, mm-hmm. when I met with you guys and your kids and, and started seeing this in, in a different light. And I, I, I think I, I'm sure I told you guys about this. I was having, I was pushing your kids on the swings and thinking back when my kids were your age, you know, my kids are, are teenagers now, but when they were little and I'd push them on the swings I wanted to push them really, really high so they would get a thrill. And your kids were not wanting that at all. And my first instinct was, don't be a wimp. Come on, toughen up. We got we to gotta toughen up this little Harvey guy here at five years old. And I just went, wait a second, no. How about we let them tell me what they're comfortable with? And that, that was like such a profound shift in me. It made me feel so guilty about the way that I did that with my kids. And I, I apologized to them. I talked with them about it, you know, like, uh, you know, that they're like, yeah, we like swigging, but it scared us too, dad. You scared us. You pushed us too high. <laughs> you know, but just, you know, like little things like that, that can have such a, an impact. Maybe everybody would be safer if they just stayed inside and watched TV. I don't know. Instead of having me push them off. I think maybe that's the take home for this conversation. But the, the, the way that we interact with each other and just that, you know, looking at each other with compassion and just what, what, what do you want? What do you need? You know, what can I do to make it easier for you rather than, you know, this is how it's going to be. Well, and you know, something that's interesting, I feel like everyone's different. And um, like with Harvey, we spoke about Harvey, like I do kind of have to push him to try something more than I would ever push my other kids because he's just, like scared and it's going to be awful. And like the deal is, okay, try it. You know, like I have to push harder than in my logical mind I would have ever wanted to push, but I'm like, no, actually like his higher self, you know, the the Harvey that's in there really wants to do this. And it's little five-year-old Harvey that's scared. So then he knows that he can try something and I'll be there with him. And then he can choose to do it or choose to not do it. Like he knows he has that choice, but um, you know, like he would never get on a carousel or something, but it's like, okay, I'll go on there with you and then you know he's on and he never wants to get off like that's Harvey's personality so I think it's you know every kid needs something different but it is interesting to to that has pushed me he's pushed me in that way into my um into an uncomfortable place because I do feel like I don't I don't want to force you to do anything except that what you really want is to do it and I need that voice in your head and you know that you don't have to because you know I'm going to listen to you like I'm never going to say suck it up and make you do it and so that gets him into the place that he really wants to be but it's he's too much like me I'm sorry man Um, (laughs) I'm like the let me just sit here and fight for myself for a couple hours I'll fight with myself and then and then we'll come up with some decisions so um, so it's interesting because I, I think we all need something different. And, and maybe, maybe this is where we get into the really woo-woo part of the everybody is their own snowflake manifestation of source that is all made up of binary code. So maybe we're living in a kind of simulation that was designed by us for us to, 
to give us growth in certain areas by contrast against other people that we're interacting with that um, hit us in areas where we need to experience conflict (laughs) and and grow past that. Um, And and even if that is just a complete fiction, if, if something like that became a shared fiction that we started looking at each other and that way, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, my, my mind can go down a lot of paths where they go, well, what about Harvey Weinstein? What about, you know, <laughs> all these well, other things, it, you know? Does it matter whether it's a fiction or whether it's a fact? Does it make my life better? That's, that's what more I'm interested in. Like, does and does it, it, does it have quality of life or not? And does it have a real impact on your biology, have a real impact on your life? You know, I mean, that's, that's, that's where stuff gets really, really interesting and, and tricky uh, yeah. for me. But Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, cool. Well, this, is, this has been a fun conversation. Thank you. Yeah, you're always amazing. Welcome. Oh, you're always amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Even when I'm causing a ruckus, apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so what, what, has the, what, what has the response been now to... Uh, you, you you said something about it was on People Magazine. Yeah, and that was new today. Uh, the the beat did another like editorial follow up to it. Um, I it was on what was the Daily Mail. No, nothing about you like being empathic has come out in any of this stuff, has it? Nope. And <laughs> you want to keep it that way? Are are you concerned no, I don't about know. that? I mean, it's like one of those. I I mean, there's a lot to me. We got the PhD yeah. part, the Ivy League PhD, and then you got the empath thing. And then you right. have, like, I, you know, I don't even try to understand me anymore. I just yeah. let it go. So might be a little much for people. Do, do you, do you still, do you still work with people or is that kind oh, of yeah, a, absolutely. Yeah, I do. I, yeah. I think that I, like, I've been feeling, I've kind of, backed away from so many individual sessions because I felt like, okay, I'm supposed to be something else and Mm -hmm. do something else. And I feel like I'm supposed to do something else with it. So it will be interesting to see where that evolves because I feel like I, like this is kind of illustrated to me that, especially because I don't feel like I didn't sit down and write stuff like that just came through. I feel, I mean, it was my experience, but I very much feel like it, came through and I was listening and where I'm supposed to be. So we'll see how that plays yeah. out. In the future. Do, do, do you still uh, deal with a lot of like ex Mormons? Cause I know for, for a while you were getting people. from. Mm-hmm. Ex- yeah. I mean, I, I think I, I mean, I don't take a lot of new, not like, I don't, I never actively recruited clients. People find me, yeah. um, but um I mean, yeah, I do sessions with ex-Mormons, a lot of other people too. So I feel like some of the ex-Mormons I deal with, the ex-Mormon is so in the ex-Mormon. I don't see how it, um, you know, it's not an active thing. So I'm not like helping people. Do do, do you, uh, yeah, this, this is another thing that I've been talking about a lot lately are cognitive distortions, these thought patterns that that the Mormon culture kind of puts into you that, continues even after um, do you have any insight into that cognitive mm. distortions bad thinking well i i mean i've i've been reading that feeling good book oh I you have right yeah 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 that's been um incredible for me and incredible to implement some of those things not only to you know work with my kids and have them 
create that kind of language in their head. One of my favorites is like, I'm human and humans make mistakes and I'm human and I can't be perfect all the time, you know, to, to really diffuse stuff and, and do that with my students as well. Mm. Um, but I find it life changing really. Isn't that the opposite of like Mormon culture? I'm, I'm human and humans make mistakes and that's okay. And they go, okay. Yeah. And to be a natural man is an enemy to God. Pick your side. Yeah. Yeah. It's, interesting because i hadn't put it in that framework yeah yeah nice all right i love it i highly recommend that book that's like my new i'm recommending that book to everyone because this has been amazing for me um not that i i I found that like you know in my previous work on myself i had kind of skipped like um well, one of the things I noticed I would do is like, I did nothing today. This is around motherhood too. And because like, I didn't finish that folding that basket of laundry, which is pretty much a constant state for me. Like the laundry folding is like, well, I didn't finish that, you know? And so in my mind, I would blow that up to, I did nothing. So I started one of the things, um, you know, recommended in the book is, okay, I make the schedule, the things I'm going to do. And then I think I, I, I didn't even do it for that long of a time because I needed two sheets of paper to get to noon on the first day that I was writing down the stuff that I was doing. And I was like, what have I been saying to myself, <laughs> you know, and to really keep track of, okay, this is what I am doing. And that, that actually like stopping folding that laundry to, um, you know, spend time with Harvey stapling him into his paper night costume, like stapling Harvey into his paper night costume is a higher priority than folding this laundry. I'm actually living in according to my priorities. I just need another set of arms so um, that I'm not doing nothing. And, and, and I think we can really downplay, I think we do do that in relationships as well. It's like, you know, here's the thing about you that really irritates me rather than <laughs> let me make a list of the hundred things that I absolutely love about you. And then suddenly that the fact that you, you know, don't throw away your wad of receipts on your dresser or whatever, like, isn't really a big deal actually, because there's all these things that I love. And so to, to really, not that's way too random to not be a real thing. Yeah. I know. She was, the pause was like, think you're okay. Which thing, (laughs) (laughs) which, which Which thing (laughs) I would just, I know I just was thinking a good thing that she created a list of those two. Yeah. Well, but I think that it's important with people like this. These are the things that I love about this person and nobody's, Perfect. I think we're all working on ourselves and it's to really, I mean, that's something I I really try to do my own life too, is I love this thing about you. You know, I really do. I appreciate how you do this and I value your attention to detail or I appreciate how thorough you're being. Or, I mean, that's the language I used to talk to my kids. That's the language I used to talk to my students. That's the language I used to talk to Ryan. You know, I, I try to implement more of that into my life so that I'm thinking really positive things about people. I think that I've seen a lot of people, um, okay, I'm going to go on this spiritual path and then, you know, you wronged me and offended me in this one way. So I'm cutting you out. Like, 
okay, like what about the five years that we've spent in relationship with each other? It's like somehow we're keeping a tally list. That's not what we want either. You know, I want love and forgiveness and understanding and I want to be able to be vulnerable and I want people to be vulnerable with me and know that they're not judged and we're in this together because we choose to love each other, period. Mm -hmm. You know, not that I'm not affected by things. Of course, if you did something horrible, that would affect me. But then it'd be like, oh, but, you know, I've really loved Glenn's friendship for how six years, seven years. Like, okay, okay, there's this one thing. And, you know, let's start again today. You know, every day can be a fresh start in healing. It's not that we shouldn't work at things and like, okay, well, I have to, I say like the, you know, it's your choice to be happy. And I'm like, it's not like you just splash happy water on your face, you know, like it does take inner work to get there Mm -hmm. um, and to, you know, to heal from stuff that's happened. But I think that, um, you know, it's our choice to constantly be doing that work, you know, whatever the result is. Awesome. Well, the, well, the, the last thing I want to say before I stop recording and then say the other things that I'm going to say when I'm not recording is, uh, uh, if it wasn't for you guys, there probably wouldn't be an infants on thrones podcast. Oh, I'm going to, did cry. you know that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we love you. Yeah. Well, be, be, because the interview that I did with you guys for Mormon expression and then like, so curious to like do a reading, like, like Krista, would you be willing to do a reading and have that recorded and we could maybe publish that? And you were, and so I did it, but John Larson forbade it. I said, no, do not do that. I did it anyway. And, and I did it with Tom and my sister, Melissa. And Tom was already banished from Mormon expression at that point. And then I said to the group of Mormon Expression, hey, I did this. You guys can listen to it if you want to. I know we're not going to publish it or whatever. And John went, I told you not to do that. Quit trying to undermine me. I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to get other people to go, oh, this is really good. Let's publish it. No, I'm not going to stand for that. You're out. (laughs) That's what happened. And so then Tom and I and other friends said, let's do Infants on Thrones. And, and, And we've been doing it ever since, pretty much. I'm crying. I have. I'm sorry I got you thrown off. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> I don't I, think anybody's. I, like I don't think anybody's sorry. I don't think yeah. anybody's sorry that I got thrown off of Mormon expression. I've had so I've had people say, you know what, we like you better <laughs> if it's on Thrones than yeah. on Mormon expression. I'm like, well, I apologize for your pain and and suffering that you experienced to get to the vibrant, open place that you are right now. Ah, totally yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I love it. I love the vibrant. Open place. There's still more pain. There's still there's still more pain. Gee, that's an up note to end the podcast. Yeah, and now oh, I can stop recording and we can talk about the pain. The pain? What? No, you're right <laughs> in this world, and we we need that right now. Oh, uh, yeah. Yes. A voice of reason, and um, I'm I am just one of billions of patterns shining against a wall. That's it. Things I say aren't any more like absolute truth than anybody else. No, they're it's got, not. It's got pieces. It's it's my absolute truth. It's my absolute shape. But it's it's awesome to to get people thinking though. Yeah. Just you know, just let me think about that. Stir it up. Piss them off. Let's go. <laughs> Some people I piss off. I piss people off. There's people I piss off. 
Then you know you're doing something right. Yeah, there your anger is their responsibility. It is. It is. Oh, that's the that's the other piece that I didn't say. The other piece is that then every pattern that's on the wall is really just a Rorschach test for everybody else. <laughs> that's what it is. What do you see when you look at this Rorschach test? That's, that reveals something about you. And it came to pass that I, Keith, having lived my days in the land south of the river called Jordan, do make a record of my proceedings among the people of the Quorum. And I know that the account I make is true, because I have written it. And I am an honest man, and if thou dost not believe me, please see where I have inscribed with great pain that I, an honest man, hath written this record. Therefore, this record must be true." And it came to pass that having listened to many podcasts that came forth from the font of knowledge called the Internet, and yea, Infants on Thrones being the only podcast that I listened to at normal speed, an angel of the Lord appeared unto me and said, Lo, fear not, for thou canst comment on this episode at the website called infantsonthrones.com. And verily, should thou desire it, thou canst also leave a review and five-star rating on iTunes, because verily the quorum doth need their ego stroked. And it came to pass that I did write a review, and left a five-star rating, and the angel said unto me, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because thou hast been diligent in a few things, thou shalt be blessed with many podcasts to come. Doth any of ye desire to offer the closing prayer? And please come and support us on Patreon for as little as $1 per episode, capped at whatever monthly amount you want to cap that at. You can become part of a community. A community, I say. And have access to Patreon-only content that won't be available unless you're on Patreon. That's what Patreon-only content means. If you want it, we'd love to have you. Please come and join us on Patreon. Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones.